Lord, we bow now before your throne. And we are humbled, Lord, as we have heard from the book of First Peter, how we are to walk sober lives. We are to walk in godly fear, reverent fear, because we are strangers in this land, and it's a dangerous land. And there is an enemy in this land who wants to destroy the sojourners, the strangers, as we pass through. And so we ask for protection from him. And Lord, we pray that you would also reach out to the community around us. We pray especially for this witch's walk that's scheduled, this celebration of evil. We pray that your name would somehow be glorified in the midst of of this evil. Lord, if you could just shut that witch's walk down, we would be grateful. Or if you want to do something else, Lord, uh, perhaps even drain that walk. There would be some labor in your harvest to go meet and witness to them. Or maybe there's some other way, Lord, you can be glorified. But we just pray that you would defeat Satan and build your kingdom. And we pray for this Rod and his wife and extended family, Lord, that you would just be at work, that you would also give comfort and peace and save souls through this whole situation. I pray for my brother Jeremy as he shares, Lord, what you've laid on his heart about his own journey. We just ask you to move in his heart, move in our heart, change him, change us, Lord, and send us home glorifying you. Be with our fellowship time later today as well and the discipleship meeting this evening that you would be glorified there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you. Good morning. It's a little smaller this week, which is sometimes that's really nice. The little home church. <laughs> we went on a fast trip over to Idaho on Friday and back, and we we uh, <clears throat> came back late last night for a graduation ceremony, and we listened to a story on the way. Um, well, it's, I, I'm sure some of you have read it before. Uh, how many of you have read David Wilkerson's book, The Cross and the Switchblade? Blade. That's an amazing story about how God used a man in New York and going down to these gang children, um, violent, vicious children, 14 years old, 10 years old, knives and just stabbing people and uh, stabbing a polio victim in the middle of the park just to because they didn't like that he was sick and just how God used him and delivered him from fears. And, and as I was thinking this morning, you know, my story is I, I'm not... I've never done heroin. I've never had knives that have stabbed into people. And yet, you know, the Lord reached me. I was more of a religious Pharisee, if anything, a hardened religious Pharisee. And so I have a totally different testimony. I don't have the testimony, you know, like Micah or, or a Matthew Milioni, you know, this skinhead that I have a testimony of a Pharisee. And I, my prayer today is that you know, the Lord reaches us all in different ways. Yeah, and I, I hope you can hear that as we go through the way the Lord has led me. Is um, yeah, I know a lot of the things how he led me to choose to lead me was through doctrines, waking me up to many doctrines. And uh, that shook my worldview. I was very doctrinally oriented. And that's how he chose to humble me. The Lord does different things for each person. And my prayer that Brother Roger said as we go home glorifying God that Somehow, my name wouldn't be lifted up. I don't want to tell these stories for me. I want to tell them to praise him. And so, uh, just to do a quick recap, I was in the middle of last week telling you how the Lord was in the middle of taking everything out, all of my furniture out of the room, and was just shaking everything up. It started off with questioning. You know, I, I said, I told you last week I was really good. We, uh, we worked hard. And then we played hard. I told you about some of my boat jumping and blowing up five-gallon propane tanks and just had a lot of fun, had a lot of guns. I just just loved to play and loved to um, water ski, snow ski, um, go out in quads and jump in the desert and all of that. And then we were we did church hard too. You know, we were always there. My dad taught us whenever we're, whenever the doors were open, we were there. We were, uh, if, if the pastor, I heard a joke once, if the pastor was washing in the windows, we were there to watch, you know. And so that was us, and that was me, and I, I was faithful to the church I was in, but the Lord started questioning these cardinal doctrines in my heart that started out with a rapture, and, 
and uh, started leading my heart towards my family and, and showing me that, you know, the a man isn't a dictator in his home. He's a servant leader. Christ is. And and uh, it's not about what we're going to have this for dinner and we're going to go here. It's about um, leading your home in righteousness and serving your family. He started waking my heart up about fashion. As I told you, my wife came to me with that verse about jewelry and should, and we looked at Peter together and we determined that, yeah, we need to take the jewelry off and we need to stop wearing makeup and we need to stop dressing up with clothes and trying to give in to all of the fashions. And, and he woke me up slowly to hypocrisy as I sat there and led the songs and are people even thinking about the words they're singing? And what does the word church really mean? It's people. It's not a time. It's not a place. And he started shaking my worldview about this doctrine that was so deep in us, the interpretational framework, dispensationalism, that said that the time of Jesus and the things he taught were not for us. Um, he started making me question unconditional eternal security and seeing passages that said um, a man is like a, a, a branch and is cast and is withered. And that branch had life at one point. And then he even started making me question the very one thing that I used to call church. When my wife and I would go to look for a church, we'd call the pastor, look him up on the phone. Okay, Baptist church, that looks good. And the first question I'd ask him, what Bible do you use? If he said anything other than King James, we were not going to that church. Um, the second question, I, what kind of songs do you sing? If he said anything other than hymns, we were not going to that church. And now he started making me question this, and my whole worldview was is was being, and in, and my whole biblical worldview was being interrupted. And I told you about we tried to have open meetings. Oh, you know, I saw the scripture, and, and you know, trying to convince my father-in-law, can we have an open meeting? And kind of turned out to be a disaster. If you didn't hear that, you can go listen to it. But so I'm in the middle of this time, this dark night of the soul, where all of my furniture is being taken out, and. Uh, nothing anymore. I, I can't even, I mean, I'm questioning everything. I'm questioning why we sit in pews, why we preach from pulpits and why we give out, you know, this liturgy we do every week. And are we just religious? Or are we going to miss this thing? And I couldn't handle anymore. I was wearing suit and ties. I used to love to dress up. And so pretty soon I'm in my jeans and in my flannel shirt and I'm in the back, you know, <laughs> hey, Randy. <laughs> I was right where you were. <laughs> Saw him smile, a big smile, and we connected. But anyway, that's where I was. I was, I was done with the hypocrisy. I was done with the uh, insincerity, and I call it the dark night of the soul. And Stephanie said during this time, I was, you know, I, I wasn't so involved with the church anymore. I was, I was kind of home and just loving my family and doting on them and not, you know, wanting to have meetings and discuss doctrines and all this stuff. And she was kind of liking this. She thought this is great. You know, my, my, my husband's home now and he's, he's really just, you know, here all the time. We're home every evening and, and, uh, but she noticed that something in my heart was starting to just grow. And <clears throat> she was praying about it one evening and the Lord, um, asked her, she was saying, Lord, you need to wake up my husband. You need to put that spark back in him. And the Lord asked her, are you sure? And she said, well, I think so. And he began to show her the cost. He said, well, that's going to mean a lot of late nights, a lot of late meetings, a lot of you being left, you know, with the children and you and your husband will be busy hosting, you know, many thought was, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want that. But then she began to think about what would be better to have him sold out for the Lord or have him sold out and it would be worthless in the end if I wasn't surrendered. So she said, yes, Lord, wake him back up. Wake, get, put that spark back in his heart. And she says about a week. Told you that this whole concept of Jesus and Paul and were they teaching different things? You know, Jesus seems to put a lot of emphasis on obedience and works and he even says that we'll be judged by our works. And and then Paul says things like, we're, we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. And and I begin to think, is there a contradiction? Maybe these, you know, the dispensationalists say it's not for us, but, and I begin to even wonder, maybe Paul's weren't, words weren't for us. And I, I began to go through just, I decided I am taking a break from Brother Paul. And um, 
All I read for a whole year was just Jesus' words. Just Jesus' words, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I just read the Gospels. And Stephanie and I just poured over them. I remember being so excited about these things. We'd She'd be cooking, and I'd have the Bible, and maybe a baby on my hip, and I'd be reading to her like, this is amazing, listen to this. And and um, and reading Jesus' words were, was just so life-changing. Um and the Lord was opening my eyes. And I remember this verse that just, if everybody turned to First John, this was like that theme. I don't know why, but the Lord, when he wakes me up to certain things, it's like this one verse is the theme verse for this period in my life. And kind of like Roger talked about turning points. During this turn, turning point, this verse was like highlighted and it just stood out. And I read it in the NIV as I was telling you. And this is what it says. It's in verse 6. Um, and the way I read it, now we'll read it in the King James. It says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Speaking about Jesus, this is what I read in the NIV. Really plain and simple. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Pretty simple. And that verse just struck me. Very clearly, John, the apostle who walked with Jesus, said, if you want to claim to be a Christian, you need to walk. You need to live like Jesus. It's, it's, it's not this concept that we're in a different phase and somehow Jesus' words aren't for us. And so, as I read through only Jesus' words, I then went into... The apostles, I thought after a year, I thought I might as well start reading the apostles. And that's when I actually hit this first Peter, James and John. And I read through these for six more months. So a year and a half, I was reading through staying very far away from brother Paul because I thought maybe I really did. I thought maybe he was preaching something different. After a year and a half, I finally decided to, um, to venture in to Paul and I got into Romans, and I don't have time this morning because I want to move forward with other things, but I got into Romans. Romans 2 says that uh, this verse just hung on me. To those who in persistence do good and they seek for glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Did you hear that? Those who do good. Those who are persistent in doing good, he will give eternal life. And then he says, but those who are... Um, self-seeking and reject the truth, there will be wrath and anger. And as I got into Romans 6, it says, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And then I read read, um, Romans 8 about walking in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the deeds of the flesh. And if you do walk in the flesh, it will bring forth death. But if you walk in the Spirit... And then I got into 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I know all of you know it, but you know the long list. He says, let no man deceive you. This long list. And he goes through sin after sin after sin, anger, and all these things, uh, or immorality, fornication. And then he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, let's just read it. 1 Corinthians 6. Maybe somebody wants to read it for me. Chapter, uh, verse 6, 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. And he said, don't be deceived. Like there was a deception that you could think somehow these people could inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Paul said that. And then he goes on and says, such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. Uh, then as I kept reading, I got into, uh, yeah, Galatians chapter 5. You can turn there. Galatians, just two books forward. I remember 1 Corinthians 5, Galatians 5, Ephesians 6. These these chapters just stuck out to me. Galatians 5 and verse 19. Somebody read uh, 19 and 21. 19 through 21.
they shall not inherit. Ephesians 6, they shall not inherit. Very clear. Paul was saying some of the same things Jesus was saying. Ephesians 6, uh, sorry, Ephesians 5, sorry, it was 6, 5, 5. Anyway, five, chapter 5, turn back, and 3 through 5. Somebody read that. 6, sorry, I, I, yeah, 5, 3 through 5. I'm saying this wrong again. Have any inheritance. And he says, let it not once be made among, among, among you. Not even once. Covetousness. Not once. And that just stuck out to me so strong. Yet I looked at the church and saw so much covetousness. He said, let it not be once named among you. And so I kept progressing. And, and I, I mean, there's so many verses that stuck out to me. Even Thessalonians talking about who will be judged. When Jesus comes back, they will be judged. Who will be judged? The ones who obey not the gospel. Not just believe not, but obey. This is in First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Those who do not obey the gospel will be judged when Jesus comes back. And as I was reading, these were these truths were coming out. And I hit Hebrews and tap chapter 10. And I don't, I just remember this night I was reading and I got to this verse. I've shared this testimony with you before, but the fear of God came over me on this verse. This was like the life changing event where I really believe that like this is when I surrendered to working in my heart up to this moment. But in Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 26, it says this, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Now he goes on to say, how much worse punishment do you suppose you will be thought worthy of when you have trampled under the foot your foot, the Son of God, and if you've counted His blood of the covenant wherewith you were sanctified as an unholy thing and you have despised the Spirit of grace, the blood, you have counted it as unholy wherewith you were sanctified. You have despised the Spirit and you have trampled on the Son of God. And the Lord just gave me this vision in my heart. I saw... Jesus laying out on the ground. He was, he was dead. He had blood. He had been, um, he had been killed, obviously. And the Father had laid him there as a sacrifice for me. And I was on his body. In this, in this little thought process, I was on his body and of all things, I had a mop. And the mop had been dipped in his blood. And I was slinging his blood around this, and it's kind of this, just in this like, dancing like la 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 just and and I could see the father's face of fury and indignation that I would do this to his son and this then came to me this is what it's like when you willfully sin when you decide it's okay I can sin God can God will forgive me this is what you're doing when you willfully sin and I came under fear I came under um serious conviction. And I just prayed, God, I don't want to willfully sin. I had hidden sins in my life. And um, I just said, God, I don't want to sin anymore. I want to stop sinning. And by your grace, if you will help me, I will stop sinning and especially willfully sinning. During that time, I knew it was time for us to move on. We had been meeting with these Family. Some of you know McDonald's and the Gray family. We've been meeting with them outside of our church meetings. And I knew I needed to leave, but I didn't know how to leave. And I didn't want to dishonor my father-in-law. I knew he was my pastor. I, I knew that it we would have a long-term relationship. And I knew I needed to honor him. And so I was in deep prayer every day. Lord, how do we leave respectfully? What's the right way to leave? 
And while I was actually just working on my computer, just doing tech troubleshooting, and all of a sudden this thought just came in from out of the blue, and it just said, ask your father-in-law for his blessing. And I knew it was the Lord. So I got up and I went right into the house and I said, Stephanie, it just came to me. We're to ask God, or we're to ask your dad for his blessing. So we went and we sat down with him and we explained, I think, I, I, I want to remember it for seven, six hours, but maybe it was four, I don't know. But we sat and just poured our hearts out to them and told them that we felt we needed to seek the Lord and find his will in our life. You know, there's so many things messed up and so we just asked him for the blessing to seek the Lord. And so that launched us into meeting in homes. And we began to meet with the Gray family, um, who are now River Brethren, I think, or something like that. And the McDonald family, we went to Belize with them later. <clears throat> and the first book we started studying together, read it, and then we'd study it, was First Peter, which is interesting. We're going through that now. And I, I just remember just loving every word out of First Peter. And I remember the words in cha- uh, chapter 3 where it talks about Jesus left us an example that we should follow, it says. When he was reviled, he didn't revile. When he was threatened, he didn't threaten. But instead, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And I saw very clearly that Jesus gave us an example of trusting in his father, and that's why he didn't resist evil. That's why he didn't threaten. It was all about trust. And so here I had, you know, an AR-15. It was a nice assault rifle. <laughs> I had a nice Glock 9mm. I had a Smith & Wesson 357 revolver. I had a Ruger Mini 30, which shot, I think it's called an SKS round which was awesome because it was a nice gun, but it shot cheap ammo, Russian ammo, and I could just buy, I'd go to the gun shows and just buy hordes of this stuff. And I, I like to store it in my piano. Like there's a big opening at the bottom of it, and I could just store it all up in there, along with my gold. I had a funny story. One time somebody asked me for money, and so I, I, we, we went to get some money that we had stored in the piano. I was in there ruffling, sh- and, and the person walked in, oh my goodness, I had to hide it, you know, all my stuff in there. And... Um, and we had plans, you know, if, if the government ever did something wrong, we were going to revolt, meet in this, meet in this field, and we all bought the same guns, so we would, we could interchange ammo if, if we needed to, and I, I sound like, yeah, some hard criminal, but I wasn't really. I just, I just went along with everything that was going on, and, <clears throat> but during this time, I was really questioning, you know, it sounds to me like Christians, are supposed to not resist evil, and they're supposed to love their enemies. But I didn't know anybody else who believed this way. But according to what I was seeing in the Bible and what we were talking about, it seemed like it. Right about that time, Grady McDonald handed me a book, The Kingdom That Turned the World Upside Down, by David Brousseau. If you've not read it, I recommend you read it. And I remember looking at the front of it, all these little soldiers, you know, in some archaic, you know, mid middle evil battle at, on a hillside, and... Um, started reading it. It intrigued me. And I, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I was sitting actually at a, um, there was a Senate hearing. We were big into politics and trying to push the government from keep doing wrong things. And they were going to try to pass some gay marriage and uh, uh, litigation or, or law. And so I'm sitting in this hearing as a protest to them. You know, we all showed up, uh, a bunch of Christians, and I'm reading the kingdom that turned the world upside down <laughs> of all the irony. <laughs> and uh, I started to read in there that there were other groups that did this. There were, even the first 300 years of Christianity believed this way. They were all non-resistant. It was the normal thing for Christianity. Uh, there were groups along through the church ages that uh, believed this way. And we decided to sell our guns. We decided to root up our little thing in the driveway that would alert me when people drove in, you know, uh, and I slept a lot more peacefully, you know, when, when you sign the, when you finally give it up and you're just like, Hey, if they break into my house, what am I going to do anyway? All of a sudden you're like, Hey, I can sleep now because before you're just like, what would I do? What would you, you're just calculating. And I remember being up and looking out the window when I heard things and, and you know, now I look back and I think I love this one. At the time, I, I mean, 
it didn't, it, obedience precedes emotions sometimes. Now I can look back and say, I just love non-resistance when I see people all geared up towards, like, putting all this emotion into protection. I think, man, you could be so much freer. Time of walking in it to see the fruit of it come into your life. I gotta keep moving on. I could keep going on with non-resistance, but also at the ladies in our home group started wearing head coverings and we were the only ones not. And they were pressuring us, you should wear head coverings. Um, these are, this is scriptural. And Stephanie came to me and she said, look, I, you know, we'd been raised that your hair, your, your long hair is your covering. It says right at the end in Corinthians, it says, um, the hair has been given to her as a covering. And we were, we, we knew our doctrine. We felt pretty confident. It says it plainly. Just read that verse. But no, the other ladies in the group wanted to wear these coverings. And so Stephanie came to me and she said, study it out and be 100% sure because I don't want to be this five years down the road. You know, we did this clown thing for five years and then we're done with it. Like, she's like, please, you believe it 100%. And yeah, that, that's, you better, you better study it. And so I studied it, and I looked at the Greek, and I read Dean Taylor's articles, and I, you know, looked at church history. And, you know, I, I finally came to realizing I believed it was a cloth. Um, it's two different Greek words, the one up here versus the one that says the hair is given, given to recovery. Number two, it's a time-based command. It says, while she prays and prophesies. You can't, t- you can't put something on and take something off it says, when she's praying, this thing should be on. When she's not praying, it should not be on. How do you do that with your hair? How do you put it on and off, on and off? You can't. You can't have long hair and short hair. Or I mean, you can't do that. Man, you can't, you know, take all your hair off while you're praying and then put it back on when you're not. It was very clear. It's obviously something you can only do during this time. Uh, on top of that, church history, once again, up until 100, 150 years ago. Um, believe this. So it's a very hard step to look like a clown. Um, I know some of you have been raised in it all your life and it's just like, this is what we do. But when you've never done this and all of a sudden all your family members are like, what has gotten into you? Uh, we were at an event yesterday. It was a very, it was a graduation at a public high school. Boy, do you feel like fish out of water? Um, and we, um, that was written here what she said she was so thus she still wears it today which is a blessing um, we also were convicted about storing up treasure thank you Roger Hertzler wrote a book we are up there reading his book Grady and I and uh, I had silver coins, gold coins. I even had gold coins that were from... Now, there was a year in which, if you had a gold coin before this year, the government is not allowed to come and take it. If Because if, they can come and take your gold, if you didn't know that. They can. Well, there's a certain year, if you buy... Before, they, it, I bought these... But we, uh, well, in this one house, we had it stored. I don't know why I hadn't thought of the piano yet. I had it stored in the bathtub. <laughs> well, there was a little door. It was like almost like a spa type of bathtub. And you could open this little door and I could shove all the stuff in there. Well, we bought our house. We were moving. And so we got all, everything moved, got over there, all set up, forgot the gold forgot the silver. And I'm laying in bed that night, you know, we're all done moving, we're in our new house, and I'm laying in bed, and all of a sudden it dawns on me, we left probably, what, $50,000 worth of gold and silver in the bathtub? My, I'm like, I still had a key, so I felt like such a robber. Like, I think I even let the people know we left something. I didn't tell them 50000 of gold, but we went back to that, snuck in, you know, got all this gold out of the bathtub. Um, you know, the Bible says where your, where your treasure is, there's your heart. And it was there um, in the bathtub. <laughs> <clears throat> so during that time, we sold our gold. 
We sold, we, we cashed out our 401ks. We sold our silver. We sold our stocks. We sold our guns and our ammo. And we decided we were going to follow the Lord. <clears throat> and we were baptized. Uh, we really felt, this was around 30, we really felt that we'd never quite, like, I, I don't know what happened at seven, but I lived in woeful sin from seven to 30 or sometime in there. So it was like, the Lord knows. But I just know when I got serious about the Lord, that's when I feel I should be baptized. So we, both Stephanie and I were baptized. Stephanie um, had a had an also an interesting experience where she she was listening to that song, ashamed to hear my mocking cry out among the scoffers. And she thought, I it just this realization hit her. I put Jesus on the cross. It was me, my mocking voice. <clears throat> and another song she was listening to said, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, um, Lama Shabbat and I, I can't speak in Jewish, but he said, uh, to God, I give my life. And just the realization that Jesus gave his life, that he died for her. <clears throat> so we were both baptized we wanted to move to this church. We'd actually seen it, and I think, what was the, was it the remnant before, way back when? Was it called the remnant way back then? You guys were all in suspenders. And there was like an article, well, Roger wasn't, but most, Brandy, were you in that picture probably? There are like all these white shirts and suspenders, and we came down and visited, but during that time, Stephanie's um, sister had been involved in a divorce. Her husband left her, and... um and we felt it wasn't the right timing because we felt that um, we needed to support her. So <clears throat> we decided to go. The only other Anabaptist-style church we knew that believed in non-resistance was the Mennonites. We started fellowshipping there at Rochester Mennonite Church. And I wanted to go there also to meet the street preacher because, you know, I'd been a little bit influenced by Roger and seen some of his gospel signs all over the place. And um, so I kind of wanted to venture into this evangelism a little bit. And so I met this man named Jody Rapley, and uh, he was going out, very intense personality. I walked up to him and said, I would like to go out and street preach with you. And he says, first, you must come over to my house, and we will see if we be brethren. Okay. <laughs> but uh, we went over, and I guess we were brothers because he decided I could start preaching. And uh, I have another funny story we had been going out to colleges uh, on Friday nights. He'd take us down to downtown Olympia, like drunkenness and sin. And here we were with these big signs and just the filth and everything that was happening. One day we had been at a college preaching and it didn't turn out so well. And we had a little extra time and he was driving around. He's like, well, I wonder where we could go. And I said, you know, we should. I should take you to my old Baptist church. This was uh, way back before I even moved to Stephanie's dad church. It was another Baptist church. And I should just take you in there. And so, you know, I I should have known better. Like, that wasn't, uh, maybe it was of the Lord. But um, we walk in and there's King James, you know, like there's plaques and signs and banners, like 500 year anniversary, like a massive, massive, um, what do you call the thing? Like a massive printed out thing and, American flags and soldiers, you know, down on their knees and all over the place. And he's just looking around. Wow. And we get in there, we sit down. And, um, and the pastor starts out and he starts preaching or teaching through the book of Romans. And he says, Romans is the best book. If you only could have one book, you should just read from the book of Romans. He said, James is an epistle of straw and Matthew, all heresy comes out of the book of Matthew. And and Jody, by this point, you know, he, he was just boiling over there. I look over at Jody and, oh, no, this is not good. <laughs> and he just stands up in the middle of the service. I have a question for you, Pastor. And uh, the pastor says, sure, go ahead. He says, um, do true Christians obey the Sermon on the Mount? And the pastor just said, no. And then just gives this whole rebuttal of why not. And... Jody, all of a sudden, I'm like, what did I do? Jody says, sir, you are building your house on the sand, and you need to repent. And by that point, all these men stand up, and they start walking towards us, and they're all, some of them are trying to prove to us from Scripture, and others are telling us, you better get off the property. We've called the police. And 
and I'm thinking, we're done, we're out of here, let's leave Jody. No, Jody wants to go on the other side of the road where they come out and hold signs still. So, huh. So we go over there and I'm holding signs, you know, as all my old friends. And then, of all things, the, the pastor, the youth pastor comes out and he says, Jeremy? I thought you were a pacifist. So, anyway. Did I tell that story last week already? No, I just feel like I had, but okay. <clears throat> anyway, so those were my preaching days. Um, police did show up, and Jody even had to say something to them about repenting and, and being Baptist. And the, and, and, and the police officer says, do you have a problem with Baptists? And uh, Jody said, are you one? Oh, my, Jody. <laughs> he got us into some interesting things, but he had some amazing courage and power to preach and I would watch people come up and yell at him and five ten minutes later be asking him questions and humbling themselves by that point we decided we needed to move down to Oregon um, I just didn't quite see the I, I wasn't convinced yet that Mennonites were just the way they thought through things I love the people there but just the concepts I couldn't quite see and grasp and so um, we wanted to come down to this little church and um, we started praying, and we were in this rental house. We just prayed and prayed, Lord, open the doors somehow. Make a way. We couldn't find anything down here. And one day, you know, I have four boys, and they can make damage. And <laughs> we were, we were something had gotten scratched on the floor or something, and we were just, we have to get out of this house. And we were to this, like, fervor level of, Lord, open the doors. So we get down on our knees, and we pray, Lord, please open the doors, like do something, work out and find us a place, Lord, in Halsey. And I, right when we got off the floor praying, I called Mike Hosen and I've been calling him, brother, what, anything? No, no, no. He goes, he's sitting over here in the cafe. I think you were renting it to him for an office or something. And he goes, brother, I'm sitting here right now looking across, out across the window and there's a U-Haul truck pulled into where Randy lives and, and they're loading up right now. What? Yeah, Rhonda Dibel and Ted was his name, Ron and Ted, to own this place. So I call up Ron and Ted Dibel. Um, hey, um, I, I just heard the story. Your tenants are moving out. What? They had no clue. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm telling you. And we want to rent the place. <laughs> so they, uh, we'll call you back. So they, they call over the tenants and sure enough, they're moving. They call us back. Yes, amen. Praise the Lord. We moved down here. And we were like, the Lord is working, he's moving, we get here, and uh, and that, I think it was that night or the next night, you know, you all know the name, I'm not going to say the name, but somebody was going crazy who used to be here at Valley and was running up and down the streets, you know, and please, yeah, anyway, and I'm thinking, what kind of church did we move to? Um, but at the same time, I'm like, well, the Lord obviously opened the door. And Stephanie had to remind me that every time I get my doubts, look, he opened the door. Remember you called Micah? And the Lord seems to do that in our life. I have to remember back. Oh, yes, okay. Um, so we got here and um, there about, I think, eight months. It was it was great. Um, and I started thinking about buying a house. And I was, now, now during this time, I was still like, I must obey Jesus. Um, and I was, going more and more towards, like, asceticism. You know, like, you probably remember I buttoned my top button and um, uh, trying to remember some other things I did. But anyway, I, I was going more and more down that route, and I was not sure. I know this might sound silly to you, but I was doing it from a heart to follow the Lord. Should Christians own houses? Maybe Maybe that's not the right thing. And should Christians even go into debt? The Bible says in Romans, owe no man anything. And I don't want to find out, you know, I don't want to have done all of this, thrown everything out to follow the Lord, and then just flagrantly disobey him. I want to obey him. And so we started praying, and and um, and this house came available uh, where up where we used to live, Wolfer's house, where Timothy lives now. And um, some Mennonites were selling it. We went up, we liked the place, but we didn't have the money. And... We had sold our house, which was amazing how the Lord confirmed to us to move here. Another thing he did is he sold our house for over the asking price. 
uh, up in Washington. So we had some money, but not all of it. And we didn't know if we should go into debt. And we prayed. We laid that thing before the Lord. And I get this call from my um, from my contractor, the guy who worked for me in Washington. He said, hey, have you ever thought about selling your business? No. I had never thought about that. He said, well, I'd like to buy it if you'd consider selling it. Oh, wow. Interesting. So we started thinking it up. Wow. He could. He said, I would like to buy it in several payments. Well, the first payment we thought could be enough to maybe buy this house. And so sure enough, we came up with a deal and he offered this much and, but it was $5,000 short of the house. $5,000, right? You think, just go get the loan, Jeremy. Well, am I going to disobey? I mean, I don't know. I don't have peace. It just says, oh man, no man, anything. So I start going through, you know, logic. Um, I'm like, hey guys, I've got all the cash. I'm $5,000 short. If you would like take this motorhome of mine, um, and then I'll make you payments back to buy it back from you. It's your motorhome if I never buy it, but you know, I'll plan to buy it. And no, they weren't interested. And I was $5,000 short. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm almost there. And uh, you'd say, just do it, Jeremy. Well, I didn't want to just do it. I wanted this to be from the Lord. And so anyway, I, um, the last day, the deadline, five o'clock, you have to have your answer by five o'clock. The woofers told me on Monday night. And I'm like, I, I guess we're just going to have to let this thing go. I guess it's not the Lord's will. And um, we are at the deadline, 4.30 in the afternoon. We're over here at Brownsville Park. I get a call from Jeff, the guy who was buying my business. And he says, Jeremy, he said, and I had not told Jeff anything about this 5000 I just told him he was just buying the business. He said, I was singing the song yesterday. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. And the Lord told me in my heart, to give Jeremy King five to seven thousand dollars more, I'm like, okay, wow. I guess Christians can buy a house, <laughs> and I didn't have to go into debt. Now I'm not saying a debt. Prove to you, he can show you. Just have a sensitive heart towards him. Like I was saying, we were going through this time of asceticism. I mean, I was thinking maybe I need to have a long beard. Maybe I should wear tunics. Um, I met this brother who carried a cross on his back. And he came to my house and he had a tunic on and he was trying to convince me of tunics. Roger probably remembers this time of my life. <laughs> um, you know, I had all my children always wear long sleeves. We ate plain food. I was intrigued by these brothers. They even dumped, jumped in dumpsters to get food instead of... So that they could go preach. And then you all laugh at that. But think about the heart to say, I would rather eat food out of a dumpster so I can go preach the gospel. Man, these guys bless me. But I wasn't sure about all of this asceticism. And and, and it just felt like the more I went into the the more joy I lost and the more um, just the endless list of commands to do and should I, you know, what is okay and what is not. And you just felt like you were just constantly thinking. Like one time I was driving along and Stephanie said, Something about, well, I think we were going to go get ice cream or something. She said, what have you been thinking about the last five minutes? And I'm like, if we should have ice cream. And she's like, are you serious? Like, my mind was just consumed with, like, is this right? Is this wrong? I don't know. And and it was um, it was a difficult time. Turn to Galatians. <clears throat> Chapter 5, 3. We are quickly running out of time. So we need to make this quick. The Lord brought this verse to me very clear at this time. Just shined it. It says, and he's talking about the the, the law of uh, Moses and, and the spirit. He says, did you receive the spirit by works of the law and walking by the spirit? And the Lord just illuminated this me, for, to me. Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. 321. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. It speculates there, if there was any law, including outside of Mosaic law, that could have given life, we could have found righteousness by a law. But there is no law, including obeying Jesus. If you just go at it through your own strength, you will never find Complete righteousness. That's the point. And I don't want to get ahead of myself because this was a path the Lord was leading here. But I started to realize that there was something more than just obedience. That, that there's, it's, we can't approach God just by law only. That we have to approach God by something greater. Um, 
I do not have the time to go into all the things the Lord taught us through the sickness. We had a lump in my throat, Stephanie's thyroid, Joel Erickson, I remember his face was swelled up like a pumpkin and we died. Joel Erickson's sister, Karen, all the things. I got cancer and just how the Lord even spoke to Stephanie through that. You know, I had a, a stint and I said, I cannot get the sickness. And, and Stephanie was praying, Lord, I want him to be healed from cancer, but I don't know how to pray. I want to pray according to your will. And the Lord told him, how would, uh, as she sought the Lord, he said, do unto others as you want done to yourself. And she said, what does And then she realized he was saying to her, how would you want somebody to pray for you? So, oh, well, I would want to pray for him to be healed. So <clears throat> she prayed in the name of Jesus. And, and right that moment, she said, I kicked my foot out and my fever broke. And she took that as confirmation that, that the Lord was going to walk me through this cancer. And, and he had already been locking. I mean, sometime I'll have to tell you that the, the lump of my throat and how the Lord healed that just dramatically convinced, convicted me of fear and how it's the opposite of faith. And I mean, immediate healing on it. Um, and then the Lord, uh, the devil fighting us through it. Um, and how he taught us so many things um, through our sicknesses and, and cancer. But I still had this burning desire in my heart to walk. Like I had seen this concept that it, there is no law that can make us righteous, that it's God's spirit that makes us righteous. And we have to walk by the spirit. But I had no idea what that meant. Walk by the spirit. If you walk by the spirit, you shall live. How do you do that? Um, so I thought, let you know, it's amazing how sometimes you think we're going to go do this in our way. And God kind of reroutes it a little bit, uses it, even though you have a desire, and does it in a totally different way. So I thought, this was my idea. Let's go to Belize, and we will study how to walk by the Spirit. And we will study it from Andrew Murray. You know, he was from the 1800s. I don't want to get into this weird day stuff, but let's walk. Uh, we will read old Andrew Murray, and we'll, he'll teach us how to walk by the Spirit. And so I had this idea. We're going to go down there. And we also thought through that time that I may die from cancer, and um, and so, you know, maybe this would be a good thing to do, to spend these years with our children and go build some memories in another country. Take them to a totally different worldview. Help them to see what it's like to live in a place like that. We get down there. It was a crazy trip through Mexico. Um, I remember one time uh, I, I was just like, I just walked out to the road. And I'm, just, I'm just ready to die. Like, it was crazy. Um, when When you're fearful in life, and full of anxiety, and you're driving through Mexico thinking that maybe the drug cartel are going to kill you, and you have your trailer with all your belongings behind you, and all the walls are collapsing, and everything's breaking, and falling over, and your whole life is falling apart. You're just like, the Lord's just like cornering you, and you're still just a ball of nerves. So we get down there, and um, I met this man down there. His name was Ernesto. He's a black I was talking to him one day, I was saying, man, you know, I, I just don't know. I mean, the, Jesus said we were to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And, you know, I know these brothers who say they won't eat ice cream because that would be not denying yourself. And I just don't understand. How, what is it to really walk with Jesus? How does he want us to walk? And he just goes, brother, it's really simple. And this man was a gang member. The Lord had taken him out, had done miraculous things to bring him out of the gang and taught him kept him even from committing suicide, even though he tried to commit suicide. Some of you have heard that testimony. He tried to jump off and hang himself, and it wouldn't work. He goes, it's really simple, brother. You just accept this. Unless you deny yourself. Oh, just accept the situation. What do you... But as we walk down there in this hot environment. We lived in a trailer for the first, how long? Six, eight months was it long. And while well, we built a house, it was so hot. And, you know, mind you, I'm still thinking I need quality vegetables and all of this because, you know, I had cancer and, and all of these stresses. And he said, brother, take up your cross just means accept the situation. What do you mean? And, <clears throat> and I, it was like I came to the place, I started practicing this. He explained it to me. 
It means whenever you hit a trial or you hit a circumstance, a situation that's really frustrating, really stressful, really full of anxiety, you just take it from the as from the Lord and you trust Him and you you actually release it. You say, Lord, I'm not going to stress about that. I'm giving this back to you. I'm going to trust you through this. I need grace. Help me through this. And I started to practice this. I started to and the Lord started opening my eyes about peace and how we're to let the peace of God rule our hearts. And I, I know I've preached these sermons. I think once I told you the zucchini story where, you know, I was just like, we got to get out. We got to get to town. We're going to miss zucchini. Like, this is the most important thing of the day. Like, when you have cancer, you have to have zucchini because it's healthy. I know, Glenn, you don't like zucchini. But... Um, <clears throat> Uh, anyway, I was, I started to learn that to accept each thing. And one thing he told me, he said, what does worrying do to fix the problem? You know, you get a flat tire and you're like, I was supposed to be here. And you're all stressed and you're frustrated. What does worrying do to help it? What does being anxious do to help it? And I remember through are doing everything in peace. And so like, we're supposed to be at a church meeting. Sorry. I'm going back up to the bedroom and I'm going to go pray. And when I come back to the family here, if you guys want to go, you better be in peace. Like it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting time. That's why I had to go there because you guys would not have understood me doing that, like showing up late all the time. And I was doing it in peace, but, (laughs) um, the peace, you know, just like when you're playing a game and the umpire calls out, stop. Go back. That was a foul play. It's the same thing. Let the peace of God rule. Umpire in your heart. Crazy things. And when you go to another country and you decide to live with no running water and solar electricity and um, dirt roads and snakes and heat beyond belief and fire ants, lot of situations to accept and try to run a business from there oh with one bar signal um yeah there was a lot of things to accept but the lord taught me and he taught me that he only gives his grace to the humble he rejects the proud but he gives grace to the humble so as i would go through these situations i had to humble myself to the situation and say lord if i want your grace i have to accept this i have to say this you're allowing this into my life. And then he also only gives grace to those who have faith. It says in Romans 5, we have access by faith into grace. You cannot get grace if you don't have faith. So not only did I have to humble myself to the situation, but I had to believe that God was going to give me the grace to walk through it. And so this two years uh, was like a, a, a training ground of what I thought was going to be Andrew Murray books turned out to be real life, boots on the ground, like day in, day out, crazy stuff. I remember one day I was praying, Lord, I just want to walk in your spirit today. Please teach me, help me to hear your voice. And I pulled up to the um, market where we would get groceries. And uh, this man, this immigration officer walks up to me and he just walks right up to the side of my car. And he says, um, did he say, will you pray for me? I want to remember this right Will you pray for me? Like, my wife's not here. I don't have any gospel signs. Sorry. And um, how does he know I'm even a Christian? And I told the Lord, please lead me to somebody that I can minister to. He asked me to pray. And I prayed for him. And I looked up as he told me a situation that morning. His uh, wife had left him and his dog had chewed up his, um, or cat, I don't remember which one, had chewed up his, his um, uniform. And I prayed for him and I looked up and he was just crying and weeping. And I was like, wow, Lord, I want to be used by you. He taught me during this time about the new covenant and how in the Old Testament, God promised the Holy Spirit that he would put a new heart in us and he would put his spirit in us. And in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, it says that when they were all this was going on, they said, this is Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God, pouring out the promised spirit. He has received it from his Father and is now pouring out this promised spirit upon you. And he taught me the importance of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
and that, that we can't obey Jesus without the power. And we just read verses like that in First Peter this morning. If, if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And so he taught me how um, walking by the Spirit and, and the importance of the Spirit, that it is part of the new covenant. Have you ever thought about that? The new covenant is just not about forgiveness and the blood of Jesus. It's also about the promised Holy Spirit that we should... Did you know it's commanded to us to be filled with the Spirit? We need to figure out. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a commandment. And that's part of our inheritance, it says. Uh, our earnest of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit. And he's been given for us to walk. And the last thing I have written here that he taught us about was the dangers of assuming and I've never preached a sermon one of these days. I hope to. Um, but, you know, it's we read this morning to put away evil speaking. And we learned a lot about assuming. For example, you think some thought about somebody else and then you speak that as if that's what they were thinking in their heart and you have no idea if that was true. Only say what's fact. If you don't know it's fact... It's an assumption. You know, some kid comes in the house and says something like, um, um, I did this thing and that other person didn't do it. And then that other person says um, something on the lines of, well, you had it in your heart along. You did that because, you know, you wanted the praise or whatever. Do you know that was what's in their heart? And we saw this over and over. In fact, this little community had a big problem with gossip. And then I hear gossip, I just go tell the person and it came real known all of a sudden that Jeremy will go tell anybody who starts gossiping. And they didn't like to gossip anymore because it just got, you know, I would just go to the person they were gossiping. Is this true? I heard this about you. And um, I was trying to put to death this assuming that goes on so much. And if you watch in your life, you'll see anything you do. And Jesus said not to judge. And and sadly, we do it a lot. You know, we, we have a perspective. Where we, we think of a, um, we think of that person and we say something like, well, he was thinking this when he said that. How do you know what he was thinking? You don't know what he was thinking. Um, and so the Lord really opened our eyes to the dangers of assumptions. And we as a family just went through like eight months of like, that was an assumption. Don't say that. Even to this day, my son Matthew will still say, Papa, that was an assumption. And I have to check in my heart. Was it? Maybe it was. Like, yeah, it's, we do it a lot. Just look at your life this week and ask. I just said, is it a known fact? Did they say it with her? Like, for example, here's one you children should listen. Uh, you come in and he goes, he's a liar. How do you know he's a liar? Did he tell you he was a liar? Because he has to be the one say, I was lying. How do you know it's a lie? Well, he didn't do what he said. Okay, a liar is somebody who knows they're going to do, they know what they're planning and they say, I say this and do it. What if they were hoping to do it and it didn't work out? What if they forgot? See, you can't, that's a total assumption to say somebody's a liar and not even realize. Sorry, I'm going over. <clears throat> and so to end this, I'll just say, um, the Lord brought us back from Belize with many lessons learned. And, you know, he's taught us a lot, even as we come back, about the the blessing of faithfulness. You guys here, one of the things that's back right here was the relationships of people. That, that stay with each other and love each other, even through thick and thin. One of the things in our home churches, I love home churches for their transparency and their, um, their, their, uh, their, I can't think of a word, their, their fervor. But one of the downsides is they have a tendency to not stay faithful to each other. I met a brother just a while back. Pros and cons. The pro. The faithfulness. And, and we are also attracted to the culture that. It's been. I've seen him lead us in so many ways. Um, and so thank you for all of you bearing with me through these many years. Um, it's been a journey. Uh, and I'm sure somebody told me last week, the brother that was here, Ron Bondrigger, he said, 
stop learning things. But no, he says he's still. So I don't even know what the next 5, 10, 15 years are going to hold. Um, but the Lord is faithful. And um, if you see your heart, you know, the third requirement for grace, it says grace be to all in sincerity. If you And as long as you're seeking him more than anything, he'll show you. He'll show you what's take time. It says of his divine nature. Thank you for your time.